Who are you? As a believer of Christ, do you believe who you truly are in Him? We are not a new creation because of a change in behavior. We are changed because of Jesus. If you aren't a believer yet, do you want this freedom? Follow along with Pastor Dave on the Grace Walk series. A popular subject in the in culture today that we hear a lot about is the subject that we call identity. You ever hear that today? What is your identity? Or what do you identify as? Right? Who are you? Well, maybe in this culture we need to ask, what are you? We have been led to believe by modern culture that identity is really a matter of choice or preference or opinion. You can choose to identify however you want to, and uh, your choice then makes something true. Choose a gender. It's up to you. I hear there's over 100 different choices now. Let me tell you, there's two things about identity I want you to know today. One is that your identity of gender is a biological fact, and it's not a matter of choice or opinion. I know that's controversial. Oh, I need to specify it's male and female. Those are the two genders, by the way. (laughs) Second is what you believe to be your identity really does control your behavior, even if it's a false identity. If you believe you're a girl or a boy or a chicken or a cow, (laughs) you'll end up acting like that. So the question is not what have you decided to identify as, but whether or not you agree with the truth that already exists. We're in a seven-week series called Grace Walk, and we start each week with a statement and uh, then see what God's Word says about that statement. Today's about identity. Here's the statement. You must know who you are to change what you do. We're going to talk about spiritual identity. And um, once again, your spiritual identity is a matter of fact. It's not a matter of opinion or choice. You are who you are. The choice you must make is whether or not you will believe who you really are in Christ or choose to believe one of Satan's many lies. You understand that Satan's, one of Satan's primary targets is your identity. If he can get you to believe that Christ has left something undone or you need to kind of try to earn or if he can get you to believe that your identity is wrapped up in your behavior, he can lead you down all kinds of paths. So the question is, who are you spiritually? One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is what? A new creature. The old things hang around in case you need them again. No. The old things have passed away. New things have come. You see the out with the old, in with the new of the verse? You are a new creature based upon a change. You are not a new creature based upon a change of your behavior. You are not a new creature because you adopted a new belief system. You are a new creature because of what Jesus has done in your life. He has rebirthed you spiritually. He exchanged who you used to be, your sin, for who he is, his life, his Holy Spirit. As a believer, you are 
in Christ. And that alone, that alone, let me say it a third time, that alone makes you brand new, transformed, completely changed. So the question is, will you believe that or will you base your opinion on your spiritual identity, on your performance, how well you're doing? Look what it says in Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified. That sounds pretty final to me, doesn't it? Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be what? Done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. When you become a Christian, the old you dies. I don't know about you, but I say good riddance. Good riddance. A new you is born. Baptism that we celebrate tonight symbolizes that. It's like a watery grave. It's signifying that the old us has been put on the cross with Jesus, has died, and we've been raised, just like he was raised, to new life. We have been raised from the spiritual deadness of our past. The old inherited sinful nature was crucified with Christ in order that our identity could be now resurrected one. God created us in his image, which means, I think, that we're made in three parts. Um, we're a triune being, just as he is. Uh, we consist of a spirit, soul, and body. So I'm going to take just kind of a, a few moments, and we're going to kind of look at each of those. First, let's take the body. We live in a body. That should be not a shocking statement to any of us, okay? We live and exist in a body. The body is our home. It's where we receive stimulus. It's where we interact with our surroundings. But let me tell you something. Your body is not who you really are. I thought I'd get a bunch of amens there, but that's all right. Okay. Your body is not who you really are. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it is only where you live. Okay? If it were who you were when you died, then you'd be history. It'd just be over. But when your body dies, the real you just keeps going. <laughs> I always tell people the real you is what I can't see. I can see it expressed through your body, but not your body. I, I like this little series. I, I like this, this um, quote from the Reader's Digest. Anybody remember the Reader's Digest? Is, still, is this still around? It is? It's probably online now, right? Yeah, okay. Um, an 88-year-old woman wrote into the Reader's Digest and said this, you see me as an ancient old woman, but I tell you something, this is still me inside here. I haven't changed. I'm just stuck <laughs> with this broken old body, and I can't get out. <laughs> it hurts me. It won't move right. It gets tired whenever I try to do anything. But the real me is not what you see. I am a prisoner within this old, hurting, decaying body. 
Anybody with me today? Amen. What are you, 40? Let me tell you something, brother. You ain't experienced nothing yet. Amen. You sit down front, you're suspect. Watch out over here. I like what Bill Gillen says in his book, Lifetime Guarantee. He says, uh, he calls our bodies our earth suits. You see behind that, it, 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 they're just temporary. And it, it, I, I personally think it, it's not long until we all get new ones, new bodies. Jesus is coming for us, right? Amen. And we get new bodies. Some of you are going to go, what's the big deal about a new body? I like this one, right? No, I'll take you one. So we live in a body. And we have a soul. The soul consists of our mind, will, and emotions. It's our uh, thinker and decider and feeler. Uh, another word for soul could be your personality. Uh, before a person becomes a Christian, their spirit is dead. And so they just really have this soul and this body. Uh, and uh, there's no influence of the spirit upon how to think or decide things or, or feel things. And so they're subject to the desires of the flesh and the body. Sin, which satisfies the lust of the flesh. It's just natural for us. Our identity is sinner when we're born. So we have a soul, but we are not a soul. We live in a body, we have a soul, but we are a spirit. And when Christ enters a person's life, he clears out all the sin. Amen. He cleans the place up. You know that? Right? Why does he clean the place up? Because he's going to live there. He clears it out. He, 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 we are completely forgiven and gone. Our sins are, 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 are gone as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Our sins are gone. And then he comes by his Holy Spirit and he says, he takes up residence right in our spirit. That dead spirit that had no influence on our soul now comes alive in Christ. We have been given this brand new identity. What used to be dead, our spirit is now alive. The home of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's our spirit that separates us from the animal kingdom. It makes us distinctly human in the image of God. I mean, think of animals. They both have a body and a soul, but they don't have any spirit. They can't interact with God like we can. We have a dog at my house. Paisley. Paisley's a little westy. Come on. Aww. Paisley has a very distinct personality. Paisley has emotions and feelings. (laughs) 
As much as I hate to admit it, she does, yes. Paisley has a will. Mm-hmm. She makes decisions such as where she's going to sleep. Mm. <laughs> Who she's going to go to for affection. <laughs> she decides whether or not she's going to obey. Do you have one of these? Yeah. Paisley has a mind. Paisley can learn, right? She can be taught to do things and not to do things. But animals do not have a spirit that allows them to openly interact, communicate with God, to worship Him, to receive His heart. Only we can do that. Your spirit is your connection. Your spirit is who you really are. So if your spirit is who you are, the question I ask is, well, then who are you? Before you came to Christ, Scripture describes us not as spiritually evil, but spiritually dead. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden, uh, God said to Adam and Eve, if they eat from the wrong tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will surely die. So in Christ, we who were dead have Come alive in Him. Look at this passage in Colossians to understand how God has transformed us. Colossians 2, 9. For in Him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. Let me ask you, do you, do you feel complete today? Do you believe that you are complete today? You know what complete means? It means without lack. It means not in, in need of something else. It says, in Christ, you have been completed. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So he who is over all rule and all authority has completed you and I. It gets better. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, which means the sin has been cut away. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you, also, you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised your spirit from dead to life. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the old you, when you were in that state with nothing to offer, he made you alive together with him, having just forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And I say amen. amen. We have been set free, folks. We are new creations in Christ. You are complete. You are lacking nothing. You are dead to sin. You are alive with the Spirit of God. You're forgiven. You're innocent. All because Jesus loves you so much and he has gifted you these things by his wonderful, matchless, amazing grace. Who are you? Who is this new you? What is your God-given identity now that Christ has come and done his marvelous work in you? Again, I go back to what I said earlier. This is not a matter of opinion or 
choice, it is a matter of fact. And just as there are only two genders, I believe there's only two identities, spiritual identities. Sinner, saint. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, then you are remaining in your inherited sinful nature that all humans are born with because of the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. We've all inherited a propensity towards selfishness, right? That's who you were. But behavior doesn't determine identity. You are who you are. If you've placed your faith in Christ for your salvation, you have been changed into a new life in Christ, and certain things have now become true of you, even if you don't believe them. You can live in a false identity Makes no sense to me. Our identity in Christ is many things, and I'm just going to look at three things today. The first of them is this. Your identity in Christ. I said it earlier. You are a saint. Amen? Some of you are thinking, but you don't know me. I didn't ask if you feel like a saint. I didn't even ask if you act like a saint. I didn't ask anything. I just stated a biblical fact. You don't have to go through some council to be a saint. Did you know that? You don't have to be interviewed by a committee. You are a saint, which just in translation just means a holy one. And you know why you're holy? Because the holy one came and lives in you. Look what he's, Paul writes to the, first, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Paul calls the people of the church at Corinth saints, and he does that in many of his letters to the churches in the New Testament. Now, we know he's not talking about their bodies when he says saint. We also know he's not talking about their soul. Have you read 1 and 2 Corinthians? They have made some pretty terrible decisions. There's a lot of sin going on. Paul is saying they are saints or holy ones because they have been sanctified by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is his presence in them that makes them possess his holiness and their new identity. So the question I ask is, is your identity... Saint or sinner? Only two options. It, it, it's, it's extremely important because if you believe wholeheartedly that you are a sinner, even though you're a Christ follower, you've come to Christ in faith, you've given him your life, and yet you still identify as I'm just eternally a, well, as long as I'm on this planet, I'm a sinner. If you identify that way, what are you going to be constantly doing? sinning. If you believe wholeheartedly that you are a saint possessing the holiness of God, sanctified by the finished work of Christ, empowered by His Holy Spirit, your behavior will begin to reflect your belief in this identity which is true of you. Who you perceive yourself to be will guide how you live your life. But again, identity is not an opinion. 
or a decision. It's just whether or not you're going to believe what is actually true about you. It matters before you become a Christian. It matters not how many good things you do. Sometimes I hear people say, they're talking about some people down the road, and they say, you know, my neighbors, they're just really, really great people. They're just not Christians. Uh-uh. Bible, Bible itself says none of us without him are good. None of us. Oh, but the flip side is also true. Sometimes I hear Christians going out there and saying, I'm just a, 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 I'm just a sinner. I do it all the time. I'm just hanging on until Jesus comes. Identity is not determined by behavior. When Christ brings his holiness into your spirit, he changes your identity from sinner to saint merely by being there. But if you think you're still a sinner, you will live out of that false identity. I always illustrate it this way. I could put on a dress. Sorry, I've, give, I've given you a mental image now you can't get out of your head. But. but I could put on a dress, wear high heels, speak with a high voice, and think I'm a woman. But guess what? It's a false identity. I'm still the dude. And what I believe doesn't change the basic fact. I'm just believing something that is a lie. So do you believe you're a holy child of God, a saint? <laughs> okay, I admit it. I like to watch golf. Go ahead, judge me. In fact, I will say I think golf is one of the most fascinating and exciting sports on television. Anybody with me? In the interviews of golfers after their rounds, usually they're um, always saying great things about how they played. They look for all the good things, and the, the announcer sometimes will go, well, what about that shot on number seven? Oh, yeah, I just hit that just a little bit wrong. But, man, I, you should have seen the, the makeup for that shot and the putt that I hit. Oh, man, it was awesome. And sometimes I listen to those golfers, even some of my favorite golfers who've played a stinky round, and I think, do you really believe that? You played horribly. Why don't you just admit it? And then one day I listened to a golf psychologist being interviewed, and he said how important it is for a golfer to believe with all of his being that he is a gifted and talented golfer. He may sometimes miss a hit a ball, but it's not because he's a bad golfer. He's a great golfer who sometimes may hit a bad ball. You are a saint, a holy child of God, who sometimes will sin. But it doesn't change who Christ has made you, a new creature. Here's another description of who you are in Christ. The second one, you are righteous. The word righteous is to be uh, declared innocent, uh, justified. It's a, it's a legal term. You go to a court and you're innocent, acquitted, okay? It's like going before the judge and uh, you've been acquitted of all the crimes against you. I read earlier in Colossians 2 that uh, the certificate of debt of sin has been canceled. You are 
innocent of all charges because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid the debt of sin we all owed, giving us complete innocence. Look what it says in Romans 5, 17. For if by the transgression of, of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. In the verse it says, righteousness is God's gift to us. It's not a measurement of your behavior. How well have you done today? Well, you were pretty righteous today, but yesterday, whew, you were low on the righteous scale. Your righteousness is received through the abundance of his grace. And it's not partially doled out. Can you imagine going into a court of law and they say, well, okay, the verdict is almost innocent. You're 25% innocent. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The verse shows us there's been an exchange. Here's the exchange. Jesus, here's my sin. He takes it and in return gives us his righteousness. The very life of God through his spirit. I want you to know this is the verse that literally changed my life. This changed my life and what it means to be a Christian. I'd grown up trying hard to be a good Christian. Anybody else? <laughs> trying really hard. And to think that God would simply take my ugliness and give me back his beauty just exposed to me the depth of his love for me. Changed me. Yet, I encounter this all the time. People in the church who think that their righteousness is something that increases as perhaps they get discipled or they learn the ways of the Christian life or they grow in their faith and they get more and more righteous. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to put up a righteousness chart. Let's put up the first one. Okay. 0% righteous, 25, all the way up to 100%. And we're going to look at four different people. <laughs> Let's see the first person. Jesus, the Son of God. Where would you put him on the scale? I think he's pretty high. Wouldn't you? How about the second one? There's the Apostle Paul. Where would you rank the Apostle Paul's amount of righteousness? Yeah, he's pretty righteous. How about this next one? I had to throw somebody under the bus, so. Oh, how about this one? You see, our minds automatically start sizing up our behavior. <laughs> Here's the truth. 
Amen. Even Tim. <laughs> Listen, the minute you think you are not as righteous as you should be is the minute you think you are responsible for your righteousness. You don't have any part in your righteousness. Your righteousness is God's gift in the person of Christ Jesus. It is not earned or maintained by your fleshly efforts. Your righteousness is Him, and He lives His righteousness through us as we moment by moment surrender everything to Him. Then there's this verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the point is this, you are God's work of art. You believe that today? That's what the word means, workmanship. We are God's workmanship. It's actually the word we get poetry from. You are a work of God's creative heart. And I say that because sometimes I hear Christians putting themselves down. We ought not put ourselves down, folks, right? It's not a good look. Because when you put yourself down, you are talking about God's workmanship. Again, whether you believe that to be true or not doesn't change the fact that it is true. My encouragement is to just believe it. He's made you uniquely you with a certain personality, a certain passion or heart abilities, experiences. When he came into your life, he also gave you supernatural spiritual gifts in order that he may involve you in his mission. Your unique design has a unique purpose that he has prepared for you before he even created the world. And these good works just flow out of his unique design of you, his beautiful work of art. One of the things we often say here is this, Jesus lives his life in you, through you, as you. So I ask you, who are you? Do you believe that you are truly in Christ? Some people continue to choose to, to believe that they live out of the old them. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I still act like a, I still am the person I used to be. No, you're not. I'm a Christian, but God's never really very pleased with me. He's always kind of wishing I was doing better. Some people even told me, God's always mad at me. You're not reading the Bible I'm reading. You are holy and righteous, God's creative design. Will you accept the truth? If you've not, if you've not come to Christ... If you've not placed faith in him so that your sin can be exchanged for his righteousness, if you're not a Christian, I have only one question for you. Why not? I, I, I realize it sounds way too good to be true, right? Here's my sin. I get righteousness. I get godliness. I get holy. I get... Ah, 
can't be true. It is. He exchanges righteousness for sin, healing for brokenness, freedom for bondage, a crown for the ashes of your life, gladness for grief, life for death. Amen. Amen. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.